And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a terrific weekend. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Always a great time talking to Andrew. Uh, and we had a lot to discuss. Uh, we talked about uh, the Super Bowl, uh, the Grammys, this uh, James Langford border bill that's DOA in the house, um, and how this era of American history is ending, uh, maybe already over, and will more than likely be replaced with something that will be extraordinarily painful for many Americans. Uh, so hope hope you had a cup of coffee this morning, folks. It's about to get real dark here on the podcast, but I think you guys will enjoy it. Before I get to Andrew, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe. If you're an Apple user, please take a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I really appreciate that. And if you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. Right, without further ado, the great Andrew Donaldson. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Andrew Donaldson. Andrew, how you been, man? I'm at the age where I actually pulled a muscle getting a tattoo a couple of weeks ago. So I don't know how old you got to be for that, but I was like just laying still for it. I'm like, man, I'm sore. For, like, what age? I mean, I've had some embarrassing stuff. I tore my ACL getting out of an office chair one time. Oh, no. So like you got to come up with good stories. But yeah, I'm at that age now where it's like if I stay up till 1130 watching the Grammys with my kid because she wants to freak out over Taylor Swift. I feel like I'm hung over the next day and I do. So I'm going where, to try to power. Where was the it. tattoo? It was, well, no, it was like um, top of my forearm inside my elbow. So I had to do the thing where you rotate your right arm out and hold it down for like 45 minutes, whatever it was. I mean, still, now, it was just kind of that awkward thing. So now my back hurts. It's like, what the crap? Like, I, still, I don't like this over 40 thing, man. This still shouldn't fun. have thrown your back out, but that at least makes a little bit of sense. Yeah. I, you got to come up with some, some stories. Like I, I, everybody's like, how'd you tear your ACL? I was like, I got out of my desk chair. It was wear and tear. I was like ready to go at any minute anyway. But it's like, you got to come up with a better story than like I tore a desk chair. It's like, now nah, I wasn't some deployment somewhere or something sexier. I was saving a kid from a truck or right. doing the pitfall thing where I was jumping over crocodiles. I was like, nah, I went to get out of the desk chair and yell at a truck driver and tore my AC. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I pulled a hamstring. I, I pulled a hammy on stage because I stayed in the power stance too long one time. Although, by the way, I for the for those that aren't, your kid has your stage moves down to a T now, and it's oh, so she cute. does, man, she does. You put her in the little door romper, and she's she, that's Brady on stage. It's fantastic, man. That thing, that I mean, she'll just angle it just right. She'll push off just right, so we'll, she'll just smoke her head on the door Golly. frame every time. I mean, she's just like a heat-seeking missile at the top of her head, brother. I mean, she'll just lo- bang bang that thing on anything. That age where they first start moving and their bodies are so disproportionate because all their weight is in their freaking heads. Oh yeah, it, it's just a, it's it's like a reverse weeble wobble. It's hilarious. Like they just figure out ways to bang their heads on everything. It's amazing with kids. We don't mean the rock way either. By the those of you who don't have kids, when you have kids from like six months to about two years old, their heads are just out of control, wrecking balls at all times, which is kind of cute but really terrifying. Oh yeah, no no sense of like self preservation at all. Just and they think first. it's funny. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. They'll whack their head and then just laugh, laugh at you, and then you touch them like very gently, and they start crying, and none of it makes any sense. I'm getting better at it now, <laughs> but uh, at first, it was really hard for me to like not react when she hit her head on something, because yeah. she's looking. She looks at your reaction. That's right. If, if she should cry or not, and right. you know the first six months, call it. I would. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm running over there, and then she starts bawling, of course, because she got a rise out of me. And now it's it's hard though, man. She's a cute little girl, and it's hard to just sit there stoic and just let her realize she's not hurt. Yeah, there's the old joke about like the mom that drops the passy on her first kid, and they like take it to the grocery, to the doctor's office and get it sterilized before they let it happen again. <laughs> By the time you get to like the third kid, you just wipe it off on your pants leg, stick it back in their mouth. Like you know, you just you just learn as you go. Like they're a lot tougher than you think, and mostly they're reacting to you. I'm making a list. I'm making a list of all the weird shit that we did because people told us we had to, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm making a list of like, well, when we have a second one, if and when we have a second one, probably not going to do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Is this uh, uh Probably not, you know? Experience is a great teacher, my friend, especially. But here's the thing with kids is, because I've got, I've got four daughters. Every single one of them are so freaking different. Like, especially now that three of them are technically adults. Like, they are so different. And every single one of them were different as toddlers, especially the younger two, because they were so close together and they just fought like cats and dogs all the time. But they're so different. Um, I, parenting advice is one of those weird things because there, there's just no one size fits all because everybody's different. Everybody has different parents and every kid's different. But everybody wants to tell you exactly how to do it because they know everything. Right. It's like politics, really, if you think about it. I know. I mean, man, would people actually pay guys like you and I to tell them what to think about politics? It's wild. Shh. What a uh, life. We, we get paid every once in a while, not every, as much as we like. Correct. Keep your day job, kids, but you can make a little side. Yeah, every now and then you can get a you know meal at Denny's or something. Right, right, right. Even Waffle House if you're lucky. So yeah, I, yeah. Haven't, uh, I haven't watched the Grammys in 20 years. <clears throat> at least Probably coming up on 20, at least high school. So you're talking early aughts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I saw that Tracy Chapman was coming out of retirement to, to do Fast Car with Gosh, Luke Combs. I'll I'll look that up. I'll look up that performance yeah, later. Yeah, it's, it's good. She, I I I I hate award shows. I don't like it. I was watching it because I was watching it with my 16 year old, and she was there for Taylor Swift. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> um, and then they did the thing where she walk. She literally walks in while the dude's doing the opening monologue and walks right behind him. I'm sure that was planned, but like you know, she's the star of the whole room. She's sitting beside Meryl Streep. It's like a whole right. thing. I was. I went in wanting to just hate it and snark it and be sarcastic, and I've got a lot of stuff going on in my personal life. I I actually just let it down and they let my guard down and I actually enjoyed it. The Tracy Chapman thing for for people our age that can remember when that hit big the first time. Of course she had the fast car was eighty eight and then Give Me One Reason, which is one of the all time great songs. I don't care who you are. That song is awesome if you never heard it. Go find Gimme One Reason. Um that was ninety two or ninety three, I think. Something like that. So that, yeah. that's like our teen years when we're starting to get into music. That song was so, it's just such a classic song, Fast Car is. And it was so stupid when everybody was fighting over it, what, six, seven months ago when Luke Combs came out. And I'm not a Luke Combs fan, nothing against him. It's just that style of country is not really my thing. But that song's ubiquitous. And it's just one of them classic songs people 100 years from now will be singing and listening to. Tracy, for folks that don't know, she's extremely private. She She's not a rock star. She hadn't toured since, I think, 08 or 09. She's only performed like three times since then. So this was like a, re- if you listen to that reaction, and this is in the, uh, it, it used to be the Staples Center, now it's like crypto or whatever. But, you know, it's a basketball arena, 20,000 people, right? They did this slow pan. This was actually really good. 
they started on the guitar and slow panned it out so you couldn't tell who was playing that very da, 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 you know yeah, that yeah. real distinctive riff and when the crowd and the tv saw it before the crowd did but as soon as the crowd saw that it was her they popped to use the wrestling like it was it was loud and she broke out in this smile um and you could just like she dropped you know when she performer she drops her head and turns it to the side for a second because she had to kind of collect herself for just a second right right and she's just so cool and so calm and she was so genuinely happy to be like you could just tell she was enjoying it and luke combs even took a bath and got a haircut and was wearing a you know like a sports <laughs> coat and a vet like he looked good he looked cleaned up and he was playing he was you he could he was telling himself you could see him he kept looking at her, he was like i'm playing second here i'm playing like you could see a very respectful that so blew up all that culture war nonsense over that song six, seven months ago because you saw Tracy Chapman get that response from a crowd. She hasn't been out in public a whole lot. She could tell they genuinely loved her, and she's just so daggone good. She just, and she's so good that she doesn't feel the need to prove it to anybody. It was a beautiful moment. Music, I'm just talking musically. She's I a, loved everything about it. She's awesome. I, uh, I, 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 I vaguely remember people complaining about Is it what? They just didn't like that. Combs is a white guy covering it or what? They actually ran a video. Um, I mean, like, have you heard an Elvis song? Where do you think those songs yeah. came from? <laughs> like, what? They ran a video package right before it that I thought was per- pitch perfect because it was Luke Combs to camera. Because remember, this is a Grammy, so a lot of the Grammy audience probably has no clue who he is. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. Probably hardly. And they ran it, and he's like, hey, when I was a kid, my dad had this tape in the truck, and we'd listen to Fast Car. Because, I mean, it was the number one, like everybody. Oh, it was yeah, the yeah. song of the Huge. summer and yeah. all that kind of thing. And he said, so when I was doing the album, we didn't even plan on putting it on there. I was just in the studio, and I was like, I want to cover Fast Car, and we just laid it down because I knew it from heart, and then we went in and cleaned it up later. So he tells that story, so now it makes more sense. And I thought it was really smart for him to do it that way of like, because everybody else is like, oh, I heard Fast Car on the radio, or I heard it on a tape, or whatever. I actually remember it. MTV ran a spot, and I don't remember the context of it, but I remember seeing it over my buddy Jason's house because he lived in town. He had cable. We didn't. MTV had a spot where they were promoting something and they mentioned her and it's BB King and BB King starts talking about Tracy Chapman. And if you ever watched any BB King stuff, cause I love BB King so much. He literally does this whole body shimmer shake thing that he did when he talked it. Like he just yeah, ate yeah. You know, like a big jelly roll or something. And he goes, she is so good. He was her biggest fan. He loved her. And I always remembered that spot. And I got to thinking about that when they were running that VTR package on. Uh, so, it's a song that relates to just about everybody. Oh, yeah. People can relate to that song. It's a classic chord progression. Everybody can sing that song. It's in the common key. Like a lot of, don't get me on my common key riff about modern music. You know, <laughs> if you can't sing along to it, it ain't going to be a hit. That's pretty simple, you know, basic stuff. Right. But, it, you know, B.B. King had it right from the very beginning. She's good. It's relatable. Luke Combs told the story in a relatable way and gave her the spotlight and just the, the way she carries herself because she's so confident. She's so good. You know, she, she was wearing like a nice shirt and jeans and her loafers. Like she, she was just like, I'm not here to impress anybody. Watch what I can do. And she just played the song and sang it with this giant smile on her face. And it's like, God, we dissect music way too much. Just enjoy something like that. Cause that was, that was that, Joni, 80 year old Joni Mitchell who can't even stand up, but she's sitting there with like an eight piece, ensemble just rocking out both sides now people in my house were crying like literally weeping watching that you know it was almost like it was almost like the old johnny cash kind of stuff right when you knew he was dying that sort of vibe 
I enjoyed the Grammys. I thought it was good. There, it wasn't all good. There was some duds. There was this Travis Scott throwing chair thing. I didn't get that. And I'm a rap guy, and I'm like, I don't know what he's doing. Never heard of the feller. They, they, they sucked me in, man. It was pretty good. But it, but it, it was legends like Tracy Chapman and stuff like that. I, I enjoyed it. I'll admit it. I, I was, I was overly cynical. I liked it, and it was a good clip. And that clip's excellent. Everybody needs to go find the Tracy Chapman clip because that's good music for five minutes. Yeah, I'll watch that. I'll skip the three-hour broadcast, but uh. That's the other thing, though. They, you know what? Um, somebody in my household said said, I think they only gave out probably four or five awards on the whole thing. It's all performances <laughs> now. Oh gosh, literally. And then all the drama with Killer Mike, who's a rapper who I actually really, really like and respect. Um, he 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 won three Grammys and got arrested before the broadcast even said. So he was already let out and cussed before it even started, which was kind of funny. So. Was that wait? Yeah, so there was some kind of was altercation. It? He got arrested for a misdemeanor, and he got um, Killer Mike, who's yeah, he won three Grammys was for his legit? album. Yeah, legit. He got arrested. Like, there's a video of him getting let out in cuffs for a misdemeanor. It's like, okay, that's oh, kind gosh. of overkill, but whatever. But yeah. uh, you know, it's just that's that's just the music biz when you go to L.A. Man, weird things happen. Yeah, nobody got shot, so that's a good Grammys, you know, right? Like, nobody got slapped you, in the face or whatever. Uh, that probably wasn't at the there. Grammys. There wasn't a lot of politics, except, and I'll bring this up, and then I'm going to leave the lunk zone. Some hotshot that I guess runs the recording. He comes out and gives like this four-minute speech on people that have died at music festivals. What? And he mentioned, of course, he mentions October seventh because there was. I, I, he gave the number. I forget. Is three hundred of the people that died in Israel. Three hundred of them were at that music festival or mm-hmm. whatever. So he threw that one in there, and it was and it was pretty generic. You know, we want peace in the world and blah, blah, blah. It was fine. It wasn't offensive or anything. But I'm like, dude, you just had Travis Scott on who had, you know, deaths at his concert recently. And then you do that right after. That's probably – somebody didn't think that one through, the Astroland disaster. Um, I was like, yeah, y'all, oh, they're right. still not that's real right. self – they're not real self-aware when they try to go there with stuff like that. Um, Man, it was I, weird. That, Annie Lennox threw out one thing about having a ceasefire, but that, it was just in a bubble. Annie Lennox performing with um, uh, Wendy and Lisa. Remember Wendy and Lisa from Prince? Wow. Yeah. They, they performed with Annie Lennox, and Annie Lennox said nothing compares to you during the thing. Um, the other one that's that a got weird one. I mean, going, that's kind of cool. Billy Joel performed. He still got it. He's still good. The other one that really got the one that got me and my my kids kind of like, eh, it's okay. But Stevie Wonder duetting with Tony Bennett, which they were legit friends. Like, they were very close. Um, so they had Tony Bennett That's up on the video screen. <laughs> yeah, but um, Stevie Wonder performed the song with Tony Bennett, but he did it the jazz style like Tony Bennett would have done. Of right. course, Stevie Wonder could do anything. Oh, he could yeah, do yeah. the phone book for 10 minutes. It would be better than anything anybody oh, yeah. else could possibly do. But them duetting back and forth, and the video version was something that he had done for a benefit for Stevie back in the day. So the end of the video, he he goes something like, "I love you, Stevie Wonder, the great Stevie Wonder." And but it was it wasn't like AI or something; it was legit from the clip. And yeah, I was yeah. like, I, that one kind of hit me in the chest. A little <laughs> bit. I thought overall they did good. There wasn't a lot of over the top politics. It was kind of just. I mean, it sounds know, like it was all people performing over the it's age of sixty. Yeah, some of it. I mean, they they which I mean is good. I don't like new music. They did a. So. They did some kind of a. They did the Dr. Dre Global Impact Award, which let's not go into what that would possibly mean. But they gave that to <laughs> Jay Z. Yes, the what? Dr. Dre Global. I think I'm remembering this. The right. Dr. Dude, Dre Global the Dr. Impact Dre Global Award. Global Impact Award, and they gave it to Jay Z. Wait, why? Why Dr. Dre? I mean, I have no problem with, but what? I don't understand. I. I 
or Suge setting up Pac, I guess. I don't know. And, but no, I, I mean, Dre's done a lot so of so weird. I don't wanna, I, I, look, I look, we don't have rap music as we know without Dr. Dre. I get it. He's done a lot of philanthropy. He's also had some very questionable stuff in his background, which, by the way, a lot of that he's been kind of open about and apologized. So I, you know, I'll give him credit for that. Jay-Z went a little off the rails because he, he clearly didn't prepare a speech and got out in the weeds of what is he saying? And then he brought up the fact that Beyonce's won more Grammys, but never won album of the year. And he's got his daughter standing beside him. That's the daughter with Beyonce. So that was kind of funny. So that speech was a little bizarre, but whatevs. But I, 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 I will admit it. I'm a hardcore cynical in this stuff. I enjoyed it, but you know what I really enjoyed? And you can say what you want about Taylor Swift, but she got up and got her first album and announced that she's had, she has this secret album. She's been working on for two years and it drops in April. So that was a $70 hole in my bank account immediately because the kid spent 45 minutes waiting to check that bad boy out. But watching my kid just get joyful over a musician, and you can pick apart, but like we all did that as a kid, somebody. Sure. We all marked out for someone. Yeah. So I stayed up late just so I could watch her win, you know, album of the year and watch my kid jump off the couch and go Pentecostal on the floor for three <laughs> minutes. You know what? You could, This is where I'm a very cynical. I literally just like, don't be cynical. This is a cool moment. Just enjoy it for a minute. Right. Cause you, you don't get these when they're 25 and 30. And so I did, I enjoyed it. We got to talk Super Bowl a little bit, but first Please. I, uh, anything but politics. Let's talk Super Bowl. I'll find it and tweet it back out. If you guys missed it, but I wrote, I wrote a piece for Washington examiner last week on this topic that I thought, I thought we were all in on the bit, the Taylor Swift jokes. I've made plenty of them. I mean, hey, look, over the course of the NFL season, it has been the fellas running the cameras have <laughs> gone a little off the reservation this year, cutting to Taylor Swift between every offensive snap when the Chiefs are playing. It's kind of annoying. Let us watch the game, blah, blah, blah. But I thought we were just, we were all doing like the three-year Letterman bit. I thought we were all in on it. And apparently a lot of these right-wingers were actually being serious, and they were being serious for like weeks before I was on to the fact that they were that they weren't joking. And uh I don't know, that was that was a little surprise. I mean, I really shouldn't be surprised by anything. I've been doing this a long time, but that was a surprise. I mean, I I had no idea that that the Charlie Kirks of the world were actually upset that Taylor Swift is, I don't know, on TV a little bit more than she already is. <laughs> I don't know, like what I, I mean, they did the numbers and then they did the numbers. The last playoff game everybody was griping about, she like was 30 on for seconds. 30 seconds yeah. <laughs> yeah. for the whole thing. And I like the the commentator, Colin Coward, pointed out. I was like, if you're saying you don't like football without anything and added to it, you're lying. Because otherwise the Super Bowl wouldn't have a six-hour pregame show. Right. And we're complaining about 30 seconds. Your piece is great, by the way. It's got a wonderful headline, Whistling Past the Graveyard. That was so much fun. Uh, it's a great piece. Everybody should go read it. But I think you hit on in a key point on all this is – I'm one of them. I thought the the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing. I thought it was kind of a PR thing because that was right as their document. The Kelsey family had the documentary coming off on Netflix at the same right at that moment, and Taylor, of course, has the Eras tour going, and there was rumors about the new album. Everybody thought it was going to be another one of the Taylor version albums. Now it turns out it's a full blown new album. Everybody's losing their mind. I thought it was a PR thing because those are two very PR savvy people. They are very very smart people. Sure. I have come all the way around now just from all the haze. Like, I hope they have a, I hope they become the new Waltons. 
Like I really do. <laughs> they just need to be America's family, have a bunch of really good looking, athletic, musically talented children. I'm rooting for them now. I want them to be married 40 years and be happy. I really am. Like I've, I've come that far with it because people have lost their mind. This all goes, a lot of what's going on right now in politics and culture, especially the spaces we work in, uh, Todd Kelly kind of articulate this guy who's kind of one of my mentors uh in writing and somebody i really respect he's wrote for Condé nash for decades now you know been around a long time he he said listen he's like just remember there's a massive content hole in political and cultural media right now because the primary only lasted 31 minutes yeah they were planning on being able to talk about that for the next six months they were planning on talking about that they were planning on talking about, you know, the border. They're planning on talking about the economy. They're planning on talking about all these other things. All their plans are shot, so now they have all they have twenty four hour day content from now. <laughs> and and nobody really wants the Joe Biden, Donald Trump. I'm talking about the normies, yeah. right? The, they don't want that. So you can't just talk about Trump versus Biden because everybody's already bored with it. And this is going to go until November. Yeah, we've been doing so, Trump and Biden for five years. You know, I mean, and, it's it's just like, and it was old last time was, we did. It. Yeah. I so mean, the a thing lot is, of what's going, this I, is just content filler. We're going to it's going to get dumber and dumber and dumber. I just we have to fill this content like I I broke bad on the Chiefs. I was like I decided after they won the Super Bowl last year that I was just going to be like a Chiefs hater. I mean, that's just like, that's what I do with these dynasty teams. Like, the Patriots, it was the same way. I had more of a reason with the Patriots because they kept beating the Steelers in the AFC championship game every other year. <laughs> so that, that was rough. But, like, it was the same way with uh, Steph Curry and the Warriors. I really like Golden State the first couple years. I was like, man, this they're really fun to watch. And, I, you know, it gets boring, you know, if you're, like, the best franchise in America for a decade or whatever. It's just like, you're like, all right, I'm kind of over it. And I start rooting against them. And I thought that's what everybody was doing. I thought everybody was like, it, it was doing like the, the Belichick, Brady, Patriots, where, I mean, it was like, you know, when Brady, when Tom Brady left the Patriots, like Twitter, like NFL Twitter, it was, it was like, it, it was like libertarians when Woodrow Wilson died. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the great Eve, the great that's Satan a, a is dead. Foot. The dragon has been <laughs> slayed. You know, I mean, it was just like. Because they won, he won seven championships or whatever, and it was like, all right, finally. But it's like I thought that's what we were doing. I thought yeah. I thought we were just doing. I thought we were just joking around, man. But we can't. It's, we can't. No, Into it you, in the year of our Lord, twenty twenty four. You can't have a you can't have a sense of humor about anything. It's funny because you bring up that you're a Steelers fan, which I know because we talk football. People are like, why are you guys friends? I was like, because we never talk politics. We're always talking music or football <laughs> or whatever. When I'm talking offline, that's all we talk about. We talk about our kids and. I mean, we haven't talked about politics yet on this show. No, I know. But, and it's but, a political commentary show. But that's show. the thing. But it goes, you're a Steelers fan, right? So you look at the NFL kind of through the Steelers lens. But oh, it's like the Steelers haven't had a losing season in, what, 16 years now? 19. Probably longer. 20. 20. Well, I mean, Tomlin's been there, what, six, this is 16 years or whatever. But, like, the Steelers ben, are ben never. Ben never had a losing season either. But the Steelers are never terrible. They're never bad. No. But if you talk to Steelers fans right now. You mm -hmm. would think they were the worst team in the NFL mm -hmm. because oh, yeah. that's their because their standard is, you know, up yeah. here. Perceptions, everything in sports. And it's funny because and I think it's the good comparison with New England. Like I've gotten to the point with the Chiefs where I don't care unless Mahomes is like really hurt. And he was hurt last year in the Super Bowl. But I'm talking like, you know, like the Brock Purdy thing where he's on the sideline and he just can't physically throw a football. Right, right, right. And you're just seeing him and he's looking at the coach like, I can't do it. Short of that, 
there's no way I can watch a Kansas City Chiefs game and go, well, they got a chance to win. Because they just they just keep proving it to it. Andy Reid's too good of a coach. Mahomes is too good of a quarterback. And they have the as, they probably have the best defense in the league this year too. The defense is young and fast and cheap, and they're not paying them anything. Like I'm sitting there, like I just mentally, my head, not my heart, my head. I don't know that you'd ever. I don't bet, but like if you're betting on football, I don't know how you ever bet against the Chiefs in a big time game. Oh, you can't. I just don't. You it's can't. like the Patriots. They're not. You know, they're not going to win them all. You know, they won six out of 12 or whatever it was. And then Brady won the one in Tampa. But you just you just never bet against them because it's going to be – they're going to figure out some way to make it a knockdown, drag out, 21-20. They feel like those Patriot teams that's like, okay, we know they're not as talented, but they're going to figure out some way to muddy the game up. Yep. It's going to be 24-30 to 30 or 30-31. to 31 or, And if it's close and everybody does this – and this is what I'm interested in the Super Bowl – because Shanahan has a habit. Of, he coaches tight when he gets nervous. He did that in the divisional game and almost lost the game. Oh, yeah. And then they played a lot better. But he 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 called that game so tight, he almost cost his own team the game. You know, when it gets tight and you get in those situations, there's just that aura that Mahomes and they, they just get in people's heads. Like, that game they just played. Like, the, the efficiency number. Like, they only had the ball something like eight minutes of real time in the football game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they had, like the stats are just my. They they literally did very very little and won the game. They just, but they that game never felt like it was really out of their control. They felt like they controlled the whole game. It was amazing. And then you go look at the stats. You're like, oh, that team lost. If you just look at the stats by themselves, that's what you're dealing with. It's like those New England teams. They're just so good at controlling the entire game, everything, the time, time of possession. They get you in situations you don't want to be in. And Mahomes, when he doesn't make a mistake. You're just you're in trouble. Who are you gonna pick? I I if uh, I had to bet, I don't bet on I don't bet. But uh, I mean I if I if I were forced to bet my own money on the Super Bowl, I'd bet Chiefs just for yeah. all the reasons you just laid out. But before the season, I always make Super Bowl picks in like August on the show. Yeah, and I pick the Niners to win the Super Bowl. So I'm gonna stick with that. I, well, I picked them to beat Jacksonville, so that 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 was not good. But I was ha- I was half right. <laughs> But uh, that's a weird team. I don't want to get off track, but there, there's something. I think there's something wrong in the building in Jacksonville. Yeah. Because it doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah, yeah, I know. But anyway. Yeah, I know. They're like too good to just blow these games all the time. I know yeah. Peterson can coach. I know. I know Lawrence is like. I I really starting to wonder about the the Shad Khan ownership group. Like, is there just some dysfunction organizationally that's just hard to overcome? Is it like? Is it? Is it? I hate to say it this way, but. It, is it kind of like the Jets where it's like it's just not a well-ran building or like Cleveland had been for years and years and years or yeah, like the, the Bengals before Joe Burrow and they started spending money. It's like, are they just cutting corners and it shows up in crunch time? I really want. But anyway, back to the Niners. I, you know, the Chiefs have been an underdog in every game this playoff and they're an underdog again. I think it's like are a they? two and a half, three point line. Yeah, really? it's like a two and a half, three point line. Everybody loves the Niners. I Vegas thought the Chiefs were the, the favorites. Wow. No, they're, oh, no, you're right. They've been the, They've wow. been the underdog in every. Check me, I might be wrong, but no, you're right. Been an underdog in every single game this playoffs. They've been the underdog in every game. Why? Is it, but that doesn't make any sense when you really think about it. I have a hard time betting against Mahomes. Now, if you're going to design a team to bother the Chiefs, it would be what the 49ers can do. They've got talent everywhere. My biggest thing is I can't unseen that Ravens game where they just completely came apart. Yeah. I don't think they're going to completely come apart in the Super Bowl, but when you have a supremely talented quarterback playing really, really well, 
in the modern NFL, it just doesn't matter how good your defense is. If you can't knock him down, he's going to shred you yeah. if he's on his game. If Mahomes is on his game, which he almost always is, and if they can protect him, which they've been doing a pretty good job of, except for that left tackle they got who's the most penalized player in the league, right. which is hilarious. Like, how's that even happen? I don't know. In, unless they can knock Mahomes around a lot, I don't know that they stop him if he's on. Now, what the Niners had to won. do, they, I think what you mentioned uh, with Shanahan calling these big games tight, which is what he's done. I mean, in both of these playoff games this year, even, he called tight games and it just it worked out for him in the fourth quarter. But, like, they need to come out. I mean, if they come out tight, I'll be like, uh-oh. It's going to be another Chiefs game. But if they come out, like, play action on the first play, fake the handoff to McCaffrey and go yeah. over the top. Like whether I don't care if Purdy throws a pick or it's incomplete or whatever, but they have to be aggressive. They have to come out aggressive cuz you just can't like you, you just you got to knock them out. Like you can't yeah. if you if you're only if you're up 3 or 7 in the fourth yeah. quarter you're going to lose. Nope. Like you got to come out and punch them in the face. I agree. Andy Reid wants a tight ball game. Oh yeah, 100%. They know they the don't defense. have the we- they don't have the weapons right now, and the strength of this team is Mahomes in the defense. And he knows they can they schematically, coaching wise, Mahomes. You're not going to throw Mahomes anything he ain't seen. That defense is young and fast. They want tight. Look at all these games they're winning. They're tight games. Yeah. They're control games. That's what they want. They don't want to track me. They don't want to go up and down the field. Um, I think you're 100 percent right. If the Niners can't come out and establish like a Debo Sweeney or they can't establish a McCarthy or, or some of their other weapons. they got great weapons, you know, they're tied in. If they don't get that going fast, what happens mentally with the Chiefs is those players know Mahomes is over there, and it'll start screwing with it. This is what happened with those Patriot teams. It's like, you, oh yeah, today's the anniversary of 28-3 to 3 as we're recording this, by the way. Right, right, I right. just watched the clip of it this morning. <laughs> that's, that's 100% what happened in that. I remember watching that ball game. When the when Atlanta came out, good luck Washington. You got Dan Quinn now without Kyle Shanahan as the OC. Although you got Clint Kingsbury, we'll see. But he ain't Shanahan. I'm just gonna warn you right now. No, 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 no. Um, and that's not a knock. I like Dan Quinn, but defensive coach. Go watch that Atlanta game, twenty to three, the second half. When they scored that first touchdown, you could just see the body language change. They went, uh oh, because they all started doing. It's Tom Brady. We're we're only up two touchdowns on Tom Brady. That's not enough. We're only up. 10 points on Tom Brady. That's We're only up a field goal. What's it? Oh, my God, we're behind Tom Brady, and that's Tom Brady. Over. That's what Mahomes has going right now. Yeah. And Andy Reid has because they're so buttoned up. This is not the same team from the fall that was dropping because they've coached everybody up. You know, the the role players look like superstars now all of a sudden because it's a well-coached team. You, you cannot play, oh, we're going to play a tight and pull it out against the Chiefs because they usually have a better quarterback. Mahomes is better than Purdy. I think... I think it's proven that, you know, Shanahan is not – he's a great coach, but he's not Andy Reid. Um, you just – you don't want a tight game. If you don't knock him out, he's going to start screwing with your head. And I, they've got – Niners got all the pressure on them. I, I will say – have any pressure on them. Matt Ryan was old and smart enough to – and experienced enough to be fearful of Tom Brady. Yes. Brock Purdy is playing with house money, and he plays like he's playing with house money. I don't think that kid gives a shit. He's just, I, like he's not gonna he's not gonna tighten up he's not gonna be afraid to like sneak a ball through a tight window. I mean I, I like Brock Purdy. He's just like he I don't know he's no, super I like, confident. I like, 
there's something to be said for not being able to be rattled, and he's not rattleable. Yeah. Like, is he a superstar talent? Probably not. Probably but he's not. he he's not rattleable, and that's that's an asset in games like this. Oh yeah. Is Shanahan going to let him cut it loose? And when he cuts it loose, he has thrown some picks. You can't throw two picks against Kansas City and win. That ain't going to happen. He can't turn the ball over. But here's your paradox if you're the 49ers. What do we just say? If you're not going down the field, if you're not getting some big plays, if you're not making the Chiefs scared of you and do it pretty early, they're they're going to get comfortable, and comfortable football teams are usually, the most comfortable football team usually wins a football game. You can't let them get comfortable because then he starts forcing it, and then they then that's when you get in trouble with a young kid. So I, I can't wait for this game. I think it's going to be good. Remember when the Super Bowl, you never wanted to watch it because it was always a blowout? We haven't really had those. They've all been good no, games lately. Good. I think this is going to be a good game. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be another tight, controlled chess match game. I think the Chiefs win. If the Chiefs lose the game, I think it'll be a semi-blowout where the Kansas City just rolls them early. But I just – I don't know. I just I, – I think – We've seen what Kansas City does. They make you play their game, and they figure out a way to make it work at the end, even when you think they don't. I think that I can't wait. I'm so excited for the Super Bowl. I'm really excited for it. Niners 27-21. Yeah, it feels about right. I, I, yeah. I think I think the the Niners jump out to a big lead early. They're up like 17-7 at half or something like that, and the defense holds up well enough that. Mahomes really misses those great receivers that he doesn't have anymore. Yeah, and so if like the Niners win, that's it. Like I Mahomes marches down, scores a couple touchdowns, but just can't climb all the way back because he doesn't have the talent. That's what I think is going to happen. That's my prediction. You better get him because this this might be the worst Kansas City team you see for a year. Or two. I know. I know. There's there's rumors out there about what Andy Reid's going to do. They're the new Darth but, Vader, man. They're just yeah, like the Patriots. It's interesting. I don't. I don't know how it's going to go, but I. I can't wait for this football game. I really can't. I'm going to sit and I'm going to really, really enjoy watching this. This is going to be fun. It's going to be good stuff because now you're going to have it. One of two headlines. It'll either be the dynasty is dead or the dynasty continues. It, that's going to be the headline either which way. And it's then gonna you, be- and then you're going to pop on Twitter the next day, and some of these Republican influencers are going to have the dumbest take you've ever heard in your entire life, no matter who wins. Yeah. Well. The thing about um, I mean, it's coming. It's gonna be, I mean, even for them, <laughs> even even for the types of people we're talking about. Well, I mean, and see, I like the business side of the NFL. I find it interesting. This this San Francisco team just cannot stay together the way it's constituted much longer. So, like, if they're going to get it, they got to get it because at some point you're going to have to pay per- Purdy or get another quarterback. Right. right. You you can't have six Hall of Famers on a team and pay them all at the same time. You just can't with the way the salary cap works now. So and and all their guys are hurt all the time because they're physical. You know, Kittle's always hurt. McCaffrey's always hurt. Debo's hurt right now. We Trent Williams is forty-five years old. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, he's like, <laughs> if the Niners are going to do it, they get. I think the Niners have all the pressure on them in this game. Yeah, they have like I really this, think they, they do. have like this year, next year before you have to pay Purdy. Yeah, and the the injuries and everything else, and you're going to have to make some call. Mahomes, if Mahomes loses this game close, they can be like, hey, we got a bunch of young kids on defense and I got no weapons. I'm going to go get a receiver. This may be the worst Kansas City team we see for a year or two if they keep Andy Reid and he doesn't retire. So I can't wait. There's so many storylines to this thing. I love it's, it, man. It's going to be a blast. I love it. We should probably talk a little politics. What do you think of this uh, this spending bill that James Langford and Mitch McConnell negotiated? Apparently, uh, I'll, I'll just go well, real quick. I'll, I'll go over a yeah, few of the highlights. Ahead. It would allow uh, 5,000 
illegal aliens per day to cross the border forever. Um, it would pay for uh, free lawyers and work permits for, for illegals. It would send $60 billion to Ukraine, $14 billion to Israel, and $20 billion to, quote-unquote, secure the border, even though it doesn't really look like it would do much to secure the border. Um, man. It's why it, you know so, this is this is wild to me because Biden is getting absolutely killed over what he did to the border. I mean it's it's a ninety ten issue. Democrats aren't happy with it. Republicans, independents don't like it. I mean we're getting like three million people coming over the border every year the last two years. Um, and man, the GOP it's like the GOP is just run by completely inept buffoons. I mean they should really. I mean, for goodness sakes, man, it's an election year. <laughs> I mean, they should be absolutely punishing Biden for the southern border, not negotiating this this ridiculous deal. I mean, wow. I mean, you're basically giving Democrats everything they want. Yeah. So normally I'm the guy that, because you know me, I, I post the bills, I post lawsuits, I post Supreme Court. Like, I, I post the, the source documentation, tell people. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm not reading this because it's not going to get passed, so I'm not wasting my time. It, like, la- this this broke last night. Like, I was watching the Grammys, and people were like, hey, are you reading what's in this border bill? I'm like, no, I'm watching the Grammys. And they're like, what? I'm like, it's not passing. I don't care. Um, It's not going to pass. It probably ain't even going to pass the Senate the way some of them are carrying on. Yeah, this isn't yeah. passing. So I'm going to put very limited bandwidth on this, not because it's not, look, there is no secret to what you do about the border and illegal immigration and legal immigration and migrant workers and all the 30 or 40 things that are tied to that. It is not a secret how do you fix it. And it's not a secret why nobody wants to fix it because right. everybody has one piece of that puzzle that politically uh, helps them out. Fundraising wise helps them out. Optic wise helps them out to say, I want to fix just one of the three or four things you have to do to fix it that will never actually fix it, which perpetuates it forever. So, of course, you know, secure the border. Well, that's a great buzzword. What's it? That's kind of like, well, we're going to stop the war on drugs by arresting everybody using drugs. No, right, that right, doesn't right. stop it because you didn't do anything about why you have mass migration. You don't have anything about why Mexico doesn't control their side of the border. It doesn't do anything about our immigration system that's so broken nobody even knows how to do it if they try to do it legally. Right. Nobody wants to actually fix this. And this bill... And the way it was negotiated and the way it reads and the way is like the perfect encapsulation of why we're never going to be serious about doing anything about any of this, like 20 billion to secure the border. And none of it actually does very even that 20 billion doesn't actually because, you know, you couldn't build a wall, all the, which you can't. Any, by the way, I love people that are all for eminent domain all of a sudden, like we're just going to take all this right. ranch land and build wall. Like, right. eh, slow we're going to bomb Mexico. I thought you were anti the most anti-war people I want want to bomb Mexico. Like, yeah. come on, man, be consistent in your beliefs here. It's a mismatch of crap to sound good on TV without sound policy behind it. We know that to actually secure the border, yes, there's parts of the border that need a wall. There's parts of the border that will need actual border patrol and or military there physically standing there. There's parts of the border that are not accessible that you could probably do with remote surveillance. And these. It's an all of the above thing to fix the border. Right. But everybody wants to grab their one little thing they want to get on their soapbox for and just say, secure the border. No, it's like six, seven, eight, nine, a hundred things you have to do to secure the border. And that bill does almost none of it. They got in this thing where they're going to put all this foreign aid funding in it to do that. That's just what Congress does now. This is the perfect encapsulation of we're not really serious about fixing a problem. Let's just make it look like we're trying to do something, knowing full well Johnson, Speaker Johnson's already said it's DOA. It's not going anywhere. It's probably not even going to get through the test vote because they did it in regular order. So it's got to have 60 just to get past the test vote. I doubt it even gets that. Yeah. Why are we talking about it? Again, 
because there's nothing going on politically and everybody's fed up with it. But it's, the people that are in power don't actually want to fix it. So you, you brought it up. Biden's getting killed on it. Well, what's he going to do? Because his caucus, they don't want border security. Uh, his they caucus. Don't wanna, they don't want to do something with they it. Don't. They don't want to do anything about it. His caucus so wants he, open borders, but they want to win elections even more. He'll be forced to. He'll be forced to come to the table for sure. Maybe until Trump decides that he's going to run on, hey. you know, painting the Statue of Liberty green. They both need to you win know. Arizona, man. I know. And I know, like with the with the the Republican Party down in Arizona, it seems like that's a slam dunk for Biden. But the man's. You know, 81 and has a 37% approval rating, so it's not like anything's in the bag. He's going to take a look no. at those Arizona polls and be like, ah, no. well, People shoot. are like, can Trump win? Yeah, he's on the ballot. He can win. Oh, yeah. This whole election—let's just cut through some noise here real quick. Can Trump win? Yes, he can win. He, he, he can't win on his own. He has to have outside help, though. Biden has the easier path to win because he's the incumbent, and all he has to do is make sure the economy doesn't suck too bad and not be Trump, and he'll probably—here's this whole thing. Trump's ceiling is like 47 48%. That's as high as he's getting. If Biden's below that, he's below it right now because people are ticked off about the economy and the border and a couple other things, and they're not really paying attention. If he's below that, he loses. If he's above that, he wins. That's the whole deal. Trump's support isn't moving. It's right. going to be there. It, Biden's it, going to go up and down. It's not going to look— one of the few issues that's going to put him down, mostly the economy. Secondary to that is probably the border. The Those polls, are the two that's going to really hurt him. I mean, you're you're totally right about Trump's ceiling of support. I think—and all the polls that show Robert F. Kennedy Jr. getting— 15% or whatever, that's nonsense. That's no not, That's not going to happen. But Three, I, th I think, I don't know. I think he'll be over five. I think he'll be in that, like, five to eight range. Um, he's not even on all the ballots yet, though. He'll like, be on We don't even most. know if he's going to be on everything. He'll be he's going to be in, like, 40, 42 states, something like that, yeah, projected out. 40 to 44, something like that. Um, but I think he'll get... Biden and Trump are so old and so deeply unpopular. I know. That, it, like, Kennedy will get... It, it's not, like, nobody's getting 48%. Like, there will be a president elected with 45 and a half, something like that. Um, I think that's going to be the number. But it, it, you're totally right. Johnson already said that the bill's DOA, but I, it is, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to see the priorities of Republican leadership, man. In an election year, you and have— Use that term loosely. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. But, I mean, when you have your opponent on the ropes on a, at least an 80-20 issue— with voters, probably more like 90-10 with independent voters, people that actually decide elections. And this is what James Lang... I mean, this is like... The the fact that you have Republicans willing to to, to promote this. I mean, they James Langford and Mitch McConnell are, are patting themselves on the shoulder thinking they negotiated a good deal. And it's just like, man, it, 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 it they're so out of touch, whether you like the Republican base or not. I mean, these people are so out of touch with their voters. I mean, it's... And Langford's from Oklahoma, man. I mean, it is. And Langford's not like some fire. Like he's pretty. Before all this, and before the the modern Trump era, Langford would have been one of the more conservative conservatives. It's not like he's a wackadoo out there running around. No. But when you when you do sen the Senate's weird. The Senate does stuff to people. You you're trying to get and I and I get it. And I don't want to just bash him because you look. You have to compromise to get law. You just have to. I know it's fun to sit on the internet and go, we will never compromise. Right. Like, and then you don't get anything. Well, you so just, I don't lose. Just, you just lose. You're in Congress yeah, you for two years. You just lose all the time. Yeah. And yes, there's, there's, there's a lot of bad in that bill. There's some good stuff in there that I'd like to pick out as individual pieces. That would be really good policy when you look through some of it. But the thing about it is, is you have, you have in the caucuses right now, you have certain groups of people that just aren't going to give on anything just because they're not going to give anybody anything. 
so what happens with people like Mitch McConnell, who's from the previous era in a lot of ways, and Lankford, who's been around for quite a while, and a lot of the senators, because they're more ensconced, and they're they're you know, and by design, the Senate is not supposed to be as um, the Senate has longer terms because there's not supposed to be as malleable to the mood of the nation like the House is. It's designed to be that way. And they're just lagging right now. And they don't know how to do any kind of legislation because the House is part of Mitch's thing, to be fair to Mitch, though, is he knows the House is such a mess that he can't work with him anyway. So he's just like, well, screw it. I'm going to do what I want to do and because I think it'll look good. Now, I don't think this one looks good. But that's what he's doing because he's like, they, it's just a chaos monkeys over there. And it doesn't matter what I send them. They're not going to work with me on it. I don't know how you fix this because the the way the House is right now, and I think the Republicans are probably going to lose the House and gain the Senate. That's my prediction for the election. I think they I think they'll get the Senate. I think they'll lose the House of the Democrats. So we're going to do this again for the next four years the other way. I just I don't know how you fix Congress. So many of our problems, the Supreme Court cases. If there was a theme to the Roberts Court, it was Congress should have fixed this. Why are you bringing it to right, us? Right, right, right. So much of our problems, the border. Um, other things, not reeling in presidential authority. I don't care which president's in office. The president has way too much power right now. Whoever the president is, whatever party he is, that's Congress's job. Power of the purse is the delineated purpose of Congress. Well, you can't talk about the debt and the economy and the fiscal condition of our country without blaming Congress, and yet we never blame Congress, and they have the power of the purse. So much of our problems is, and when it comes to the border, this is where we're supposed to go to Congress to fix it, and you can't because they're too busy grandstanding on it and writing bills like this that aren't going to pass anyway and then patting each other on the back like, look at what a great omnibus of crap that you put together. Well, I mean, I'll tell you I how don't, you don't— I'm just frustrated with it. I'll tell you how not to fix Congress or, or fix the country generally. I mean, the, the state of the discourse around this stupid bill that's not going to pass over the last 24 hours— Yes. I mean, it's like— Tom Mas- live tweeting the reading of it. I'm like, why? Well, like, I read it. Well, but I, like, but it just I'm not even just between the politicians. I mean, the commentary from from the the commentariat class as well is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you have a guy like Thomas Mass who votes against everything because the country's broke, and John John Podhoritz spent his evening instead of watching the Grammys calling Thomas Massey and anybody who opposes this bill an anti-Semite. Because there was like Mace, fourteen Massey billion. Massey credit, and Massey drives me crazy. He votes no on all, like all foreign funding. He no should. What it he, is. Sh- he, he should. He, he votes. Uh, he votes no on all deficit spending. He's consistent on what he's doing, so no, it's not fair to call him that. That was not. ridiculous. And I don't. And I disagree with Macy, and you and me disagree on this because I think you use foreign aid for certain things. I think we do too much of it, but we disagree. But he he's he he votes on he votes no on everything. Like you can't pick him out on that one. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff to criticize him for. This is why in the bill it doesn't even make sense. In the bill is fourteen billion to Israel and sixty billion to Ukraine. The whole I mean, reason so it's we like, got it, this bill was because they couldn't agree on Ukraine Ukraine funding in Israel. Remember the sequence things don't happen in a vacuum, they happen in a sequence. The sequence of events was they couldn't agree on a border bill, they couldn't agree on a Ukraine bill, they couldn't agree on the Israel bill. So their genius idea was to do what they always do. It's like, well, we'll just slap it together and then everybody's got to vote for it because everybody's getting something. Except now you ticked everybody off. Now nobody's going to vote for it. But that's how they think is we're going to do these big omnibus bills where, oh, we'll just put in what somebody else doesn't like, but you put enough of something else they like and you make them vote for it instead of voting for it on its own merits. That That's exactly how we got here. And then you turn around and criticize them for voting down. That's not fair. But that's what happened. It happened because they didn't just want to deal with Israel on its own. They didn't want to just deal on the merits for and against of Ukraine funding 
on its own. They have to do these massive omnibus, slam it all together and shove it through or stick it on the back of the defense authorization or stick it in a school bill where the children will starve if we don't, you know, build this post office in Eugene, Oregon or whatever the case. That's how they legislate now because they don't know how to do it the right way and they don't want to have the actual facts that matter. But they can do it this way and then go, oh, good golly, look how hard we tried and they didn't do anything. But that that style of writing spending bills that do the big omnibus bills that do pass. I mean, like it's the Treasury's empty, brother. It's one of the worst things that's it's over. It's consistent. They can they they false manu- they either legislate via crisis or they come up with their own crisis like the spending limits and the debt deadlines and all. So they'll invent their own crisis or my favorite is oh we're going on vacation so we got to hurry up and pass this so we can go on their vacation. Like really well, the no, crisis you, you work you work 80 days a year to sit there and do your job. The real crisis is that a couple months ago, February 2023, the interest payments on the national debt surpassed the entire defense budget annually. Social Security's toast by 2033, oh, yeah. 2034, maybe sooner. Medicare and Medicaid are both insolvent by, now, I mean, at, at the, this rate of spending, probably 2032, 2031 you, even. You want to watch your small government dreams die a very horrendous death in the middle of the street by flame? Wait until people figure out they're not getting their Social Security or they're going to get a cut or they're going to get their taxes that's raised. That's the thing. Or both. That's because that's going to be the end of that because everybody's everybody wants to saddle up for small government until they don't get their check and then people's Andrew, values go the, out the window. The Wait. dollar has lost twenty percent of its value in the last four years. I mean, like the jig is up, and so you know. But if if don't you don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna do no we're gonna do nothing down uh, home loans again, backed by the government. That's gonna fix it. I mean, but but <laughs> like but it's what? like you know, love or hate Tom Massey. So if you're you know, Jod. Pothoritz, if, if you're not a Keynesian, if you don't believe that you can print money indefinitely with no consequences, if you don't believe money grows on trees, you're, you're an anti-Semite. I mean, it's like, guys, it's it, we aren't a trillion or two trillion. This isn't 2003, 2004. I mean, we're thir- over 34 trillion in debt. The dollar has lost 20% of its value in four years. Social Security's toast yeah. in 10. We're paying more on, on to just the interest payments on the national debt than the entire defense budget combined. It's it's over. And it, it's it's going to get exponentially worse in the next 10 years is what people don't realize is how fast this stuff compounds. But part of it, is, you know, I hate to go back to it. Who's in charge of that? Congress. Who's in charge of Congress? We are. We have the most direct power over Congress than any other branch of oh, the government. Yeah. Yeah. And do we care? Nope. This is representative government, my friend, and we're getting the government we deserve because it's the one we tolerate. Yeah. And Congress has not done proper budgeting in my lifetime since the mid 90s really 99 they do the yeah. they do these they do these CRs they don't do proper budgeting they don't do projection they do these ridiculous spending and it's not that I'm you know we can't even have the conversation about what we're spending money on no no domestic foreign whatever you can't have a conversation about it anymore because we don't even know how the funding works anymore because there's no process. It's just slam it in these omnibus. It, 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 it so just like made me laugh. Like, that... we, we can talk policy, but the policy, as much as I believe in policy, and I love things like foreign policy, economic policy, I love to, you can't talk policy right now because the procedure to do it is so screwed up, you're never going to get there anyway. Is, yeah. that, is that a good way of putting it? Yeah, and if like you oppose— policy is almost secondary because there's no—it's like trying to shove a diamond down a poop chute and hoping yeah. it comes out clean. It ain't going to work. I mean, just look at how—look at you know the people that oppose any spending. Look at how they're treated by their colleagues, by the press. I mean, Paul Ryan wants to kill your grandma. Tom Massey hates Jews. I mean, it's just like, they, that's, really, really? 
all because you don't you want to reduce spending. You're you're yeah, the but, devil. I mean, it's like, hey, you know, if I if I you know I try to bring this up as often as I can on the podcast. You know that John Maynard Keynes was a pedophile, right? <laughs> raped <laughs> Not a whole top of my head. Raped a whole bunch of teenage me. boys in his travels across Europe. Uh, a gay pedophile. Yeah. I anyway, I, I just like throwing that. I in. just I just keep coming back to it though. Is like. The reckoning day for the U.S. government is not going to come because of a politician or an election. The reckoning day is going to be the inevitable day when taxes have to go up and benefits go down for the senior citizen set that depends on Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. Because those are the people, when that group gets hurt, and they're going to get hurt because they got to, like mass math, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to raise tax. And by the way, you're probably going to need another 100 million civilians to pay for who we got now, let alone what the population grew. Oh, You're yeah. going to figure out immigration, yeah. legal immigration somewhere in there because you need more people to pay for all these government benefits. But when people can't get their government benefits or they start getting whacked on it, that's when the reckoning with the government's going to be. In, but, but the problem is now it's too late because now mean, you're in the debt cycle what does because it take? now they're entitled to it. We learned, we learned last year what it takes to elect um, a politician who understands economics, sound economics. It takes about 150% inflation, 45% of your population living in abject poverty. That's what it took. I mean, it took 40 years of communist rule in, in Argentina that brought about 150% inflation. And then they and finally I, are like, okay, fine, I, fuck it, we'll, we'll elect a libertarian. And you know my show, I've had people from Argentina, our friends yeah. from Argentina, Daniel DiMartino, a lot mm-hmm. of these other folks that are, that are refugees here in the country, they run the Dissident Project talking about what, you know, they will literally, the Dissident Project will literally for free pay for people like Daniel and his friends who grew up in Argentina, who now has a PhD in economics. He will come to your school, church, civic organization, whatever. They'll pay the travel for him to come just to tell the story because you got to hear what it, that country was prosperous yeah. 25 years ago. They were the it sixth richest the, country in the world. They still could be with the oil reserves and the way they're, but it was just, it's the most clear cut case of economic malfeasance in a government. They've lost, I I forget the, it's a staggering number of the population loss of the refugees coming. A lot of our refugees are the border Argentinians right now. A lot of these asylum people that we're getting who are legit trying to get asylum, but the system's so screwed up that, you know, you can't, it's hard to blame, like everybody at the border is not the same. The Argentinians come and they're being told to go across the border illegally when they shouldn't be right. trying to get a lot of the, that's where a lot of these people are coming from. They what they've done to these people. But until you until it hurts, people don't listen. They've got to know the stove's hot. And unfortunately for our seniors, my mom and dad, I'm helping take care of my mom and dad right now. They're PEIA, they're public employee retired because they're both school teachers. Mm-hmm. And dad was smart with his money, thankfully. But this this Humana managed Medicare is a friggin' nightmare to deal with. I'm dealing with it every day right now with his therapies and stuff. If that gets worse and that stuff ain't 80, 20, if it's now 50, 50, let's, let's just talk some real stuff. Cause yeah. policy's kind of pie in the sky. If you're, if your Medicare copay to go to physical therapy goes from 80, 20 to 50, 50, mm-hmm. that, that you're talking about millions of people that are broke instantly. Yeah. Yep. Instantly. So what is what's the fix going to be? Government's got to do something. So then the government comes in, and the only things they can do is either do a price control, which is even more disastrous, or they can give everybody money to pay for, which screws up the insurance part of it, which we don't have the money for either, or you wouldn't be in that position. So well, you I, see the problem now? Yeah. It becomes a cascading systemic failure of the government do something to something they caused in the first place that they don't have an answer for. It's a doom loop, and it's not as dramatic as what happened in Argentina but it can put even a great country like America 
whose economy is still pretty good despite our best efforts to screw it up as much as possible. It's still pretty decent right now. Right. That's how it happens. You start having it's it's like a the human body, a car, whatever. Just too many things start breaking at once, and all of a sudden, something that was perfectly healthy and fine becomes crippled. And it could it could and become that's what will happen if we don't get a hold of it. And it could get even worse than that because if if by the time these entitlement programs do go belly up, if we're still spending at the same level, if we're still involved in this this deficit spending. And the government just starts print. I mean, the amount of money they'll have to print to hand out the, ca- the party in power will do it. They will fire up the printing they press, have to. and they will they will give people money to pay their insurance and to keep the social you know keep social security checks from being reduced and all that. If we haven't reduced, and this dude, this could be as early as 2030, somewhere between 2030 and 2034, right? If our debt and spending has not dra- dramatically decreased by then. The inflation that will be caused by the amount of money, just the sheer number of dollars they're going to have to print, there's no way we could even pay the interest on the debt. And now you got the Weimar Republic. And, yeah. the, and the thing about it is, is people are like, well, that'll never happen. It's like, no, you don't understand. It's not the government. The people will demand the government do it because all they know is I'm not getting mine. Yeah. And they don't. The people. What's the old line from Men in Black? Um, individuals are smart. People are dumb. The yeah. mob of people who are just hurt and upset and yelling do something mm-hmm. aren't going to be thinking through what they're doing. They will demand the government give them their benefits, whether they can pay for it or not. They will demand. And the politicians who are all have no spine and won't sacrifice themselves for the good of the country, they're going to give it to them. And then the country would. A, the country will default on our interest be in a mess. Now, I'm, I'm still optimistic because we have enough. But could you have, you know— on a good side, you would be looking at something like Japan's lost decade, where they had just you know horrible. That would be like best. Case. It would be so worst much worse. Case, than you that. have you have I think so too. You would have some social breakdown, and then you'd have to really have some problems. I think we would come out of it, but could we have a could instead of a Great Depression of nine, ten, eleven years, however long you want to debate it, could you have like a generational twenty or thirty year down dip of social disorder and economic bad before it starts fixing itself? Absolutely. I mean, because if you can, if you let Social Security and all that New Deal and all that crap collapse, it's going to take you 40, 50 years to fix it because you're going to have to have a whole new generation of benefits people that are accustomed to that new level of it benefits. It could be even worse. It could away. be even worse than that because— It could be, but I'm trying to be positive. I know, I know. But just worst case, you could, we could play this out. You know, when Argentina defaulted on their debt—I think they defaulted on their debt a couple times. But when they just— walked away from their debt, I mean, it was nothing compared to the debt we have. Like, even when the the Roman—I mean, debt is what more—just as much as any other factor, debt is what brought down the Roman Empire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's—but but no nation has been in the kind of debt, respective to GDP, that we're in right now. Like, we, we do look, have it worse than anyone ever. So it's like, there is a scenario where— you know, you hear all these idiots, right? Tim Pool and all these clowns on Twitter always talking about how we're in a civil war. Emo Meg. The emo, emo Meg. The, the country's over because Donald Trump had a mugshot. It's like no, no. nobody, nobody's going to give a shit about Donald Trump in, in 20 years. But it's just like if the if the country's in serious, it, it's not going to be another civil war. But if the country ceases to exist as it does now, it will be because. There's no way to make the interest payments on the debt, and we just no. walk away from the debt and split the country up into two, three countries, whatever. 
like that, funny like, you joke. That, we that, were joking about it on Twitter. There, there was one of these. Idiot if it happens, Texas it's going to be that. People. It's not going to be because yeah. the red hat wearing MAGA people no, go to no, war no. with the government yeah. or whatever. There was one of these Texas secessionist people tweet. I, I got a screenshot it because it was so funny. And goes, if we secede from the union, do we still get our social security? <laughs> like, like they just don't. Wait. They don't like literally. Hey, they're hey man. Like they don't think like that. There's not going to be like a shooting civil war. Could you have social breakdown? Yeah, you'll have some of that, I but it's not going to be like armies. There, like, but yeah. No, well, no, because people who can't even be bothered to go vote aren't going to take up arms. But here, here's what you're saying about the Argentina thing that everybody needs to keep in mind. This is a good way to put a bow on this because I don't want to. I want to be optimistic about the future. I still believe in our country, but we're going to have some bad times to get to whatever we could be. Here's the difference with Argentina, though. All those Argentina refugees, they came here. It's the old, it's the old Reagan, you know, time for choosing speech. If if we go down, America, I mean, the United States, if we have a dip, you don't have anywhere else to go. Yeah, there's nowhere else to go. So that's why I'm I'm also optimistic because I think we will fix it. But could we have generational bad crap happen, a real dark age in American history to get through, before we come out to the other side of it? I think that is possible. But there, we we can't flee to Mexico. We can't flee to Canada. No, this is it. I mean, you could, but it's not like this is it. This is We've it. We've got to make this work. And if we, the longer you wait to fix it, the more painful it's going to be. And we have a political class that is convinced that they will be out of power and untouched when it gets bad. It's musical chairs. But it's kind of it's kind of like we talked about the you know the body gets sick all of a sudden and just a bunch of. You don't know when the music stops, man. We need yeah. to act like the music's going to stop now and do it. And they're not going to do it because they're cowards. I do think, and I think you'll, I think you'll even agree with this. I don't know how we get out of this debt, aside from breaking the country up or whatever, um, which would be extraordinarily painful and hopefully not violent. But you never know. I do know that whatever era we've been in over our into our whole lives is ending. Like yeah. that that phase of America is over now, and it's unclear what the next phase is going to be. Yes. But that you know the the eighty you know post post fall of the Berlin Wall like post USSR dissolving, America and the world was in a certain model from the early nineties until about I guess COVID, twenty twenty. Yeah. And now it's over. You know, like yeah. it's like I do know America can't engage in all these wars anymore you know obviously we're going to keep funding israel helping them with the gaza war and you know we've already spent you know, 200 220 billion in ukraine whatever like the, the government like our current leaders are not going to stop doing these things right now but that will end because just the money's gone like the treasury's empty so like it just can't like i said the dollar's lost 20 percent of its value in the last four years that's extraordinary so it's so it's like on foreign policy the foreign policy of the united states for the last 30, 35 years, is going to change. I don't know what it's going to look like. It could be more hawkish. It could be less, you know, America could withdraw from the world or get more active. Like, I don't know what it's going to be, but it can't continue how it has continued since the early 90s. I do know that. Oh. I know on spending, you're either going to get Javier Mille or something like that, or you're going to get the opposite, some kind of fascist or some kind of communist. You know, so an authoritarian. I don't know if it's going to be the right or the left. Um, probably but, both in succession to balance it out. Cause that's <laughs> probably, but it's a, but I just this like the neoliberal kind of establishment that that we've had over my entire life. I was born in '89. Like that is 
ending. It may, it may have already ended. Like it may have, we may look back at like 2020 and say, okay, the world changed. We didn't know it th- yet, but I do. But that model is gone. Like we're not. You're just not gonna have like. You, you know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? Like I'm not. And I don't know what it's gonna look like. I don't. You know, I have my, my what I think would be best. <laughs> but yeah. Whether or not that's what happens, you know, who knows? Oh. But it's. Just, I, I just don't think. The country's not and can't continue on the trajectory it's been on for the last few decades because it's just it's ran out of gas. Like it, it hasn't worked economically. It hasn't worked to impose our our will on on global markets and, and the behavior of, of foreign countries. And it's just like it just hasn't. Everything our leaders have tried to do has failed, and it's gonna change. Like I don't think it's gonna be the Trump yeah. way. I don't think it's gonna be like the 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 democrat base like this progressive everything's diversity and everything's gay and trans and you know put a rainbow flag at the vatican and you know it's not gonna be that either like i don't think either side is gonna prevail but it's gonna look different and it's gonna look different in unexpected ways i think so this is a really bad place to end the podcast on because (laughs) this should be its own like multi-part podcast i know i'm sorry man i've done a lot i shouldn't have gone there well, here's 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 the nut of it though. Is what's happened big? This is very big picture. You had the post World War II world order mm-hmm. from World War II on, and then from you picked the Berlin Wall. I would go. That's a, the Cold War is a good easy place. Maybe 9/11 is another place you could pick. Mm-hmm. But pick somewhere in that 10-year period. The the post World War II boom, economic the economic boom in America post World War II is something that the world has pretty much never seen. Like it's just yeah. Plus, we, you know, talk about foreign aid. We built Germany and Japan plus what we were doing at the same time. Like, just think about that for a minute. So basically, we were building the top three of the top six or seven economies in the world at the same time. Just think about what that would take. Right. So the post-World War II era, and then from, you know, let's do the Berlin Wall. That's a good one, 90, 90, 91, 92. You know, I'm 11, 12 years old. From there on, we've been coasting as if that was still happening and the mentality was still that until about 9-11 happened. And then once 9-11 happened, we still tried to deal with the new changing world. And remember, we had an economic upheaval, right, as 9-11 happened on top of it, and 9-11 kind of pushed off cliffs, and we had another one in 2008, right? The economy got a little lumpy for the first time in a long time. Like, legitimately, people got worried about it because they weren't worried about it in the 90s. They weren't worried about it in the 80s after Reagan. So it was a generational shift of the world has a lot of problems and now we have economic problems and we had this anxiety moment, right? But instead of addressing it as a new era, we were still trying to use all that post-World War II model and then we were using what happened in the Clinton era with the, you know, Clinton and what he did with the third way and all that and Newt Gingrich and the contract for me. And everybody's thinking, well, you take that model and you mash it with the World War II model and you put it with, George H.W. Bush foreign policy and the law work, and then 9-11 happened went, oh, well, that's not going to work. Now what do we do? But instead of looking forward, we still looked back to that post-World War II model again because that's what everybody's inculcated in. Yeah. And they still think it's that post-World War II model of, you know, big uh, foreign policy-wise, we're going to have coalitions, but the old coalitions don't make as much sense. We need coalitions with India. We need yeah. to be helping out Australia. We have to deal with China. We thought one of our foreign policy mistakes was thinking economically. Remember, we, we beat the Soviet Union economically, not militarily, but we really beat them culturally because once the culture got in there with television, right. they, they figured out that communism was BS and it's not going to work. Well, you can't do that with China because China controls all the 
they control the internet and everything else. They, they figured it out. So giving them money wasn't going to get the culture in there to do the cultural change, to get the economic change. So we have to deal with China differently than we dealt with the Soviet Union. It's a mistake we made that we still have not yet corrected. Yeah. So we need to buddy up to like India, which is now the largest country in the world. We need to readjust these things. But part of that is that mindset, that post-World War II mindset never really changed, especially in our leaders in the government, especially like the Senate and the House and the inculcated bureaucracy of the government. They're still trying to be post-World War II, and we coasted on it for so long. And now the bill, it's like a teenager that grew up rich, and now they're yeah. in their 40s, and dad died, and they left them the money, but they've blown through the money, and we don't know what to do with it now. Is that a good analogy? Because that's yeah. kind of what we did from the 90s on. We were just coasting off that World War II success, and now that momentum's kind of done, and we got to figure out what to actually do. So now we have a service-based economy, not a manufacturing-based economy. What we got to be honest about that. We have foreign policy that's not correctly. I'm a lot more hawkish than you are, but we both agree that whether you're hawkish or more pacifist or more libertarian, it's not properly aligned. No matter what your viewpoint, we're just not aligned correctly. We don't think about it the right way. I think a lot of it comes from coasting. We have not had a mirror moment where we just were honest about, like, here's where America is now, not where they were in the 80s, not where they were in 1953 or whatever you want to pick. Hmm. We can't live off reputation. We have to do the work ourselves. America is a great country. But if we don't go in the, you know, you can be a great football player, but if you take the whole offseason off and don't go to the gym, you're going to suck next year. And right now we're a country that we didn't do the offseason stuff between the last time we won and now we're losing, and it's because we didn't do the things we needed to do to prepare. 100%. So there's your Super Bowl analogy to tie this really crazy podcast all yeah. back together. Yeah. That's what we did. We we goofed off. We weren't prepared. We need to look in the mirror be honest about where we are now rededicate ourselves a little bit and figure out what America for the next 20, 30, 40 years is going to be like, not just what we were when we won World War II, because those folks, God bless them, are almost all gone and will be within the next few years. Yeah. It's over. We're not them. And we've we got to figure out how to do it on our own. We've always spent, the government's always spent like they're in the middle of a world, world war. <laughs> you know, it's like we have wartime spending levels all the time now. You know, there's and you know, to to politicians, COVID was was like Christmas morning. Like, oh shoot, here it's another war. We don't even have to bomb anybody. We can just you know, pretend we need to print five trillion dollars to save the world or whatever. You know, it's just this constant like wartime mentality, even in times of peace. And I just like you know, to me, Biden and Trump, this election, I, I you know, I've I've made jokes that like if Trump loses, he'll be the nominee again in 2028. But I mean, like the dude, he's losing his he's half senile now too i mean it, it, look, i love it, the i love the confusing nancy's that was fun. yeah nancy pelosi nancy mace but like this is both of these guys thank goodness it's their last election <laughs> win or lose trump and biden are done and to me like this year this election those two men like they do represent the end of whatever yeah, that was they do. they're the they do, end cause... of the last era yeah it's last dying breath of this nonsense that we've believed in forever and ever that hasn't worked out it's going to be and like like you mentioned it's the second these benefits stop rolling in the second these social security checks are reduced you know the, nobody cares about the economy you know like the the platform of the democratic party Until it hurts them then they care we right. learned that during covid right but i mean like the platform of the democratic party is that like john maynard Keynes is right there's no such thing as inflation <laughs> money grows on trees and then uh. the republican party it's basically there too because trump 
is attacking anybody who wants to reduce spending on the Republican side. So it's like, in 10 years, I guarantee spending and the debt will be the number one priority of everyone. Every voter. Yeah. Because this it's going to punch you right the in old the elections. gut. I think you're 100% right because, and I've, I've like, we're, we're ripped. Trump basically killed the old GOP. Like, yeah. whether you agree with him or not, he, he killed it, skinned it. He's been wearing it. Like, the Rona Daniels thing is really funny now that he's finally turned on her. Right. Like, you can't even give up your own name and please this guy. He killed right. the GOP party as it was. But I've told our Democrat, I've said this on, like, I'm talking about, like, I was on Young Turks Network saying this to the progressive folks in the Democratic Party. And they, and so I've said this consistently. Biden is the last consensus Democrat, and that's why he got the nomination. That's why he won. That's the last time that party, as we know it, is mm-hmm. going to hold together as a con- mm-hmm. as a constituency because they they're going to go through some things when Biden goes, whether it's this election or after the, if he gets four more years. The Democratic Party is going to go through some really ugly stuff because the progressive wing is fed up and they're ready for their turn. Mm-hmm. But the progressive wing cannot win Nash. They've got they've got kind of the same problem some of the MAGA folks have is like you don't have enough to win nationally. And they got even less. So you know the MAGA and folks can get about forty some percent. They'll get about thirties. It's been easy. But, it's always been easy for Democrats to hold their coalition together and hard for Republicans. And they're about to they're in for a rude awakening. And they're in for a rude awakening because they're you know Hispanics are breaking. Hispanics are not a monolith. And they thought they were going to be, and they're not, because the Hispanics in the Rio Grande Valley are about 60, 40 Democrat, Republican, and they didn't expect that. And then you go to places like San Antonio, and it's like 20, you know, Trump gets into that 20, 25% with Hispanics. It starts hurting the Democrat turnout a lot. Miami-Dade County, it's like 60, 40 Republican, yeah, <laughs> because well, they're all Cuban. The, but, well, the Cubans, but, but it's not a monolith anymore, and the Hispanics the fastest-growing demographic, but they, they are spreading out. It depends on where they are. You can't say they're all one or the other. And then you have you know the black vote, which has been so reliable Democrat for years. They're, they're fed up, it's and the, they're even saying like—but here's the thing with, with the black vote for the Democrats. Joe Biden's got to have uh, 91, 92, 93 percent to win, which I think he had like 93 percent last time, if I remember right, something like that. He's got to have that kind of turnout for them. If that starts dipping down in the 80s, they're in trouble. That it's old not, coalition's going to come apart. It's not this year. That coalition will no, hold together this year. year. People are people thinking Trump's not the guy to do that. But like, yeah. But if you get a candidate, you know, you get the right candidate, you don't have to get it over 50. percent A Republican candidate that gets 30 percent of the Hispanic vote wins in a landslide. The way the demographics are going. The now. Democrats. That's only five to ten more points than what Trump got. That's that's achievable with the right candidates. Our Democratic friends are going to go through some stuff mm-hmm. post-Biden that the Republicans have been doing with Trump, where I think they're probably going to get some kind of demagogue crazy person just take over the party for a few years. I can see that happening. So don't hold your fire. Don't just bash—I tell my Democrats, like, don't bash this Trump thing too bad, because y'all are ripe to get took over by some kind of crazy person mm-hmm. for a few years coming up. You just watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they, they have so many conflicting interests— the Democrats yeah, do. A, I mean, it's a broad party. It is. I mean, it's. I mean, you're going to get that with any coalition. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at Europe and and Italy and Israel and all all the the countries that have eight different viable political parties. It gets even worse. But like, you can't have Fetterman and the DSL in the same group. That's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, but you can't have. I mean, like you know, like Dave Chappelle is always under fire in the press for like making jokes about trans people and stuff like that. Guys, go talk to black people. <laughs> Ask them what they think. I do about I, the like, Democrats, like tr- alphabet mafia agenda. I, I, I'm here to tell you, 
Twiddle Hiles half black. I went that's to black schools. Lo- that's where they lose some of the. His- it's not I'm telling you, and uh, Hispanics are all Hispanic Catholic. They're all Catholic. Yeah. Keep shitting on Catholics, Democrats. See how that yeah. works out. I mean, it's like, it's not sustained. They're being held together by a hatred of Donald Trump. Yeah. And when Trump's gone, like it's not whether it's DeSantis or whether it's whoever is the next guy, it's not going to work. Like the whole like. I don't know how they appease the progressive wing of their party because they. And to be fair to the progressive wing of the party, they they made the progressives eat a lot of crap under the guise of, no, you just have to do this because Donald Trump's over there. Well, once you don't have a big bad to fight, they're not going to fall in line anymore because they've been told for 20, 30 years to sit down and wait their turn. So they're going to be like, no, it's our turn. Well, and they're going to go through some really ugly stuff. And it's like, you know, for since 2015, it's 2024. So for nine years, Trump has been Hitler, but he was president for four years and never became Hitler. (laughs) So it's like if that's. If it's like we gotta stop the devil, but he's been—he's a known like everybody. He's everybody already has an opinion on Trump. He was president for four years. He is who he is, and yeah. he never became Satan. So it's like Republicans have this problem too with Biden because they talk about how he's all—he's not senile, but then he straps it up for a debate, and all he has to do is put his words together and go, "Oh, he overperformed." Like, yeah, you, you yeah, can't—you yeah, yeah. can't demonize your opponent because you're setting yourself you set, up for a real low bar. Set up the expectations so low that if he just doesn't it. drop dead on stage, it's a That's win. What it, but you know? that's what they're they're already doing it again. Like, oh well, they'll never debate. But, they, but I was like, yeah, Biden can win a debate against Trump. Have you listened to Trump talk lately? Yeah, I have seen Biden over and over again. He sound he he has those Joe dementia moments. When's the last debate where he actually looks stupid though? He straps it up for them things. And Trump, all Trump's got to say is one bad thing, and the press will run it all day long. Yeah, absolutely, Biden can win a Biden debate. Biden is you, con- you don't think. Biden is considerably worse. I mean, the last four years. I'm talking been... about for one debate. Yeah, he'll strap it up and and what all time he has a day? to do is not what fall time over. Of day? Be, yeah. They don't do. They don't host debates at 11 a.m. Man. Yeah, 8 p.m. at night, he'll be fine. They'll 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 figure it out. Yeah. I mean, there's. <laughs> I don't think I I would not be. I don't I don't do prediction. I would not be shocked if there's no presidential debates this time. No, I, I would. I, I, that would, would not be, surprise me. I day. would be shocked if there are. They'll figure out some way. Not both. By the way, both sides. Because I don't I think won't Trump's debate an insurrectionist. <laughs> like it'll be that. They'll figure out some way to do it. But Trump, Trump doesn't want to debate either. So they'll just blame each other for the debates. It'll be a wash, and we'll go on. But I'll be surprised if there's any debates. No, we'll I, see. I, see what happens. I don't think. I don't want to talk about this between now and November, and we have to talk about this between now and November, and okay. I'm already sick of it. Hey, let me tell you something. All the uh, GOP primary debates are on a Wednesday night, which means I don't have a podcast till Monday morning, and nobody's be talking about it by Monday. I haven't watched. A single second of a debate. They were so the GOP primary ones were embarrassing. I'll have to take your word for it, brother. I haven't seen a second. They of were it. so bad. Could, I mean, because you could be, you could be telling the truth. Conclusion. You could be lying. I have no idea. I know. Well, because I, I write about them. You know. So do I. You know, you got to pay. There's the bills, other stuff but, though to write about. Hey, I I literally just told one of my editor <laughs> friends. They're like, "Are you going to be writing national politics?" I'm like, "No, I'm getting ready to do this multi multi piece thing on the bridges of Fayette County, North West Virginia." Nice. I'm just going to write about the bridges and why they're named to people. And they're like, why are you doing that? Right. It, it's a presidential year. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm doing that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I'd rather write about, you know, freaking bridges. I know. Yeah. Every time to be alive, my friend. Yeah, I know. Plus, I mean, you know, one piece on a debate is, I mean, whoever, the first guy to write the piece, nobody else really has to, you know. I mean, what By the way, free plug. He didn't pay me to say this. Your writing at at Washington Examiner has gotten very, very good lately. So, folks oh, that just buddy. listen to Brady's podcast, and you check out his writing. He he's really coming to his own 
writing that that last piece that we just talked about about the um, Super Bowl that was really good. So you're getting there. Make sure you pimp your writing, man. You do good stuff. I know I need to promote it more. I'm terrible at self promotion. I mean, for a lifelong for a artist, guy. it's a for a rock star guy. That's a weird <laughs> thing to be bad at. I don't. Know. It's... <laughs> I had to be convinced by other you know my colleagues to like join social media like five years after everybody else did. Because I just I didn't. 30, I was 36 or 37 years old when I got my first social media account. Really? Yeah. I never had social media. You didn't have anything? The, well, I was active military, so I didn't want to fool with it. Right, right, right. And then I just, then I had a couple of years there. Where I, but when I got sick and I was like, okay, my world's too small. I got to do something here. So I, I wrote say, that's, about it. That's only like seven years ago, man. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I've been writing six years publicly now. Because I tweeted, and then they're like, hey, you want to write? And I started writing. And it just, it, I never meant to be a writer. I never meant to be a talking head. I never meant to have a... I never meant to be on the radio, TV, podcasting, talking, heading on TV network. I never planned any of this. It just started tweeting and it kind of snowballed on me. So I've been very fortunate. Very yeah, blessed. I wasn't planning on being a writer either, but the music industry disappeared and I'm not good at very many things. So, you know, hey, <laughs> you know I'm very limited on options, you know. Hunt, hunting and fishing, man. You got to be a market for that somewhere. Uh, where? I don't know. Some. <laughs> Dance made a lot of money off it somehow. And yeah, that's way true. more entertaining than him. Just so. go out and fall in the water a whole bunch, and then you know people write me checks. I'm like I'm like a I'm like two months from my 20 year chip. Maybe we should just get drunk and fall off a boat. We'd probably make more money. <laughs> Man, I, I every now and again you'll see the algorithm will send me just like a five minute blooper reel of dance, just getting himself hurt, <laughs> just hitting his head on. Tree branches, almost getting decapitated, cruising down the river, falling. If you don't know what we're talking about. Bill Dance was kind of the original outdoor fishing guy. On yeah, was it on, was it originally like on PBS or something? I know it was on ESPN for the longest it was, time. Was it a, back when ESPN was yeah. all like Denise Austin and him? Yeah, and the crazy, you know, the Hawaiian girl, and then what Body by Jake, that guy. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was like all the fitness people, and then it was like it might have been Dance PBS because there wasn't any of the other. But he was on something before that, before yeah. it went on ESPN. I th- but I don't know if it was PBS or it might have been public. But yeah, Bill Dance was kind of the first guy that did all that stuff, and and it became kind of a joke of I don't I think they just didn't know how to edit videos, so they just left stuff yeah. in because kind of kind of amateur shot. And he was a big guy. He's always on like a twelve foot John boat, not stable, you know, just screwing around out there. God bless him. Is that guy still alive? Probably is. I I haven't. I haven't watched professional fishing in a very long since the last time I was sick and Bootsman Hawthorne was babysitting me and she only had two channels. So what do you do? There you go. A lot of Dean Austin back in the day. Hey, ESPN Mornings with all the calisthenics was a thing, folks. Go look it up. That's before we had the interwebs. They had ESPN. They had hunting shows on too. They had all kinds of outdoor stuff. Thursday Night Thunder, baby, with all the midget car racings and all that. Me and my dad watched that. That was me and my dad's thing. We watched the midget cars on Thursday night. Thursday Night Thunder. Remember that? Yeah, There's always some some dirt track in Ohio is running midget cars, so we'd watch that. For they a always while. had good boxing on too. They'd have yeah. Big I fights. watched. A, my dad was a big boxing fan. We watched a lot of Friday night fights. Yep. One, see, we got satellite in like '94, '95, somewhere in there, because there's no cable where we live. So when Prime Star and DirecTV and Dish and all that started, we had Prime Star, which was like the before DirecTV, I think. We had that, and we finally got ESPN because we live out in the middle of nowhere, but. We had basic cable growing up, but it was only like eight channels. It was like the three local ones and like five more. But I had, we had ESPN, and we had uh, TBS for some reason. 
We had two. We had two plus PBS, and we could sometimes get Charleston if there was a thunderstorm. No, I said TBS. <laughs> because, no, I know uh, we we couldn't even get that. But so the only uh, the only baseball games there'd be like one you know game of the week on ESPN, and then oh, the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves were on every single night of my childhood, and I was a pitcher growing up, so I got to watch Maddie and Vlad and Smoltz, all like, those this kids, man. Insulting. <laughs> oh, dude. I mean, I idolize Greg Maddox, man. I idolize I Greg Maddox. I love that guy. All right, brother. Where can everybody uh, follow you, read your stuff, check out your show, which I highly recommend? Give us yeah, all the plugs. I, I haven't been doing it because I've been busy taking care of my dad, but we're going to get back to doing it, Herd Tell. Uh, Four for the Fire at the Twitter. I've got a Substack now, Herd Tell at Substack.com. It's one stop shopping for everything I do. I will get back to writing more, ordinary times.com. I get to be the managing editor. Uh, most of it is stuff that will probably anger you and make you think, but we've got an excellent group of writers. Uh, I'm very blessed, man. Uh, but hit us up on the Substack. It's comp- all the content on my Substack's free. You want to give us money, we will take it, but you don't have to give us money to read it. It's all free stuff. Bad business model, good customer service. That's our goal. So you can get everything you want there. And I love coming on and talking to you, my friend. We got to get you over on mine at some point. We'll get you over when I get busy back again. Get that video working so everybody can see you in glorious high definition. I know it's coming in the next month. In the next right. month, we're going video. Everybody, uh, check out the Substack. Check out Andrew's show. It's fantastic. Everybody follow him on Twitter. Uh, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks. Thank you.